Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris. As always, joined by John Daigle. Yep. But this time it's a little special. Get Hayden Wings here. That's Gentlemen, right. how are we? I'm doing good. The the weather's great apparently for Connecticut, so can't complain. Uh, if I'm not complaining, then it means it's fine. <laughs> Sunny and 46 is really good, actually. Hayden, you have been here in the Connecticut area all week. Right. What's hotel life like? It's good. Um, just getting used to spending nine days in there. Um, mm-hmm. But went down to the gym, got my Peloton on, first time ever, and it's been awesome. Is there one instructor that you're like, yes, this person and I have this strong connection <laughs> that will be a lifelong bond we carry with each other through the rest of our lives? No, actually what I did is I hacked into the screen, put the All-22 on there, <laughs> got my, my film grind on, and we're good to go. All right. I, I asked because, you know, you've been here, but... I haven't seen you in two days, right. so I was just making sure that you were going to be here today. I'm glad you there's, are. Uh, there's this column I do that's pretty long, takes, takes a lot of hours, okay. so that's what I, I thought saying. you just might have like stacks and stacks of room service in your hotel room. Not quite. No? We may hear about that column today at some point. At some point. Uh, so today, as you all know, is our Game Previews episode. We'll have nine Game Previews. And again, if we don't cover your game, root for better teams. That's the slogan of this podcast each week. Let's that, kick it off. I didn't fight Josh for it. Just know that. There's I've, a there's a lot of good games this weekend. Yeah, there so are really, a really lot good of contests. Good and let's start with one of those. The Seattle Seahawks at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles at home. One and a half point favorites, a 49 total. As we know, the Eagles are five and five. Seattle eight and two. Dago, I'll start with you. Are you surprised that the Seahawks are not the favorites here? A little bit, I guess, but we've seen the past four games. Now, this obviously entails their offense not putting their ga- the foot on the gas, but Russell Wilson hasn't finished as a QB1 in four games now. Um, mm. he, he was great in that Bucks contest, but in that span, we know if the Eagles do not answer, then the Seahawks will scale back. Of course, that means that they would be favored in that case, so I guess a little bit, but it's we have to ask ourselves, what do we take away from that Patriots game? Because watching that game was brutal. And so maybe Carson Wentz's 6.6 yards per attempt is who he is without speed on the offense. But I think the offense can still get it going in this matchup against Seahawks defense. And what Diggle's talking about is the Eagles are coming off that close loss to the New England Patriots where Hayden, the defense stepped up. And the Eagles defense is one that we picked on each and every week in fantasy football, but with the healthy corners and Fletcher Cox and even some pass rushers on the outside making some plays, it's now the offense that can't step up. And there's really no 
positivity in sight with this offense because there's no explosive playmakers on the outside or even the inside. Yeah, I, I do think some of this falls on Carson Wentz himself. Only Jared Goff has taken a further step back from last year to this year in next-gen stats, completion percentage over expected metric. So it, there is some accuracy problems here, but the playmakers, the lack of playmakers is huge. The one thing that they have going for them is both defenses are pass-funneling defenses. That's why I kind of like the over this week. Mm. I was surprised how low the Seahawks team total was. Um, I think this is a bounce-back bounce back spot for all involved. To keep it going on the Eagles' side, they're injured right now. At least mm-hmm. banged up. Injured might be taking a little far, but Lane Johnson left that game. Um, P- Jason Peters, the left tackle, left that game. Nelson Aguilar is hobbled. Jordan Howard, we know, missed that game. Alshon Jeffrey is questionable. That's a lot of important pieces, and it's kind of wild again that we keep talking about Jordan Howard as an integral piece of this right. Eagles, Eagles offense, but he really is. Even more so than the wide receiver injuries, though, uh, since, as we talk about week and week, they still lack juice on the perimeter. I think that that uh, Lane Johnson or Jason Peters' injury is uh, the big one. Both of them are. Yeah, but last week, remember, Wentz didn't take a single sack in the first half, and the moment it was Johnson, correct, that left? Or yep. Peter, yeah, once Johnson left, then he took five sacks in the second half. That's a big deal. Uh, Genevieve County, we have to wait for his status on the opposite side. But either way, I would think that's the cog in this offense that slows them down, if anyone slows them down. We still know Ertz is going to get his. They, you know, they can throw Gilmore on him like last week all they want. Uh, but the Seahawks have no answer for Ertz in this matchup, who's now seen 11 mm. targets back-to-back games. Goddard's wearing a little bit of touchdown uh, deodorant at the moment, but either way, his involvement in their past two games, with Alshon Jeffrey in particular, is elite tight end one usage. So he's just become their second receiver. To your point, Hayden, we, we talked about Carson Wentz at the top here, and that he has somewhat regressed, at least statistically, this season. Well, he's going from a defense in the Patriots where he still gave them a chance to tie that football Mm -hmm. game to that throw to Nelson Aguilar. And now he's going to face a Seattle Seahawks defense, which is not good. But Seattle, obviously, the last time that we saw him was the win over the San Francisco 49ers, correct? Yes. And that we saw him absolutely run, Jadavion Clowney, run over that offensive line. We, We saw them be fantastic um, because of one singular player. I don't know if Seattle has nearly as much won the coaching to the playmakers that this Patriots defense has, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a really, really good game here from Carson Wentz. Yeah, I think this is the bounce-back spot. Out of all the games, this is the game I want the over on. Jadavion Clowney was on the injury report on Wednesday. It's likely nothing, but that's something to monitor. Um, we also get underdog Russ. Whenever we get underdog Russ, I know you mentioned he hasn't been a top 12 scoring quarterback in the last four weeks of the season, but this is someone when they let him cook, when they let him be the identity of the offense, he can make some magic happen. And you have Tyler Lockett, who is hobbled, going up against a Philadelphia corner. You have DK Metcalf going against a Philadelphia corner. You have Carson, uh, Chris Carson running up the middle. As I talked about with Philadelphia's offense going against the Seattle defense, I, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I wouldn't be pessimistic at all about the Seattle offense going against Philadelphia's. No, even without Tyler Lockett, like we know Tyler Lockett has to be efficient. And by the way, I believe it's. I think I misspoke. I think it's three of his last four games. Whatever the case, though, we know Russ is only hindered by the hierarchy above him. Yeah. Um, he's never hindered by his own talent whatsoever. So if the Eagles respond, then we know the Seahawks will respond, and it comes down to. 
Tyler Lockett's health, but more to the point, DK Metcalf, who still leads his position in end zone targets, and what we think will happen with Josh Gordon now that they have an entire 14 days to integrate him further beyond uh, third down slants like he was used on that Monday night contest. Because without Lockett, you would think they have to lean on him more. That or we look to what I believe could be a, a sneaky spot if Lockett's out is Jacob Hollister in this game. I'm just still less stunned why Phil and they're home, but why they're favorites here. We get underdog Russ, Seattle coming off a bye, with Seattle right now having the number one passing offense according to DVOA. I think it's because we know the Eagles will struggle running the ball without Jordan Howard if Jordan Howard doesn't play. And the Seahawks have allowed 20 fantasy points in five of their last six games to opposing quarterbacks. The Seahawks' weakness on their defense is the passing attack. And we know this offense only runs through wins at the moment. Hmm. All right, next game, Miami Dolphins at the Cleveland Browns. Browns favored here by 10 and a half, total of 44. Browns are a little hot streak. I believe winning two in a row, they are four and six. The Dolphins, as you know, are two and eight. Uh, just to peel back the curtain here a little bit. On Wednesday, <laughs> we sit down in the newsroom and try to plan out the six games or the nine games that we're going to cover on this very podcast. And Daigle sits right in front of me, yep. facing the wall, which I could never do. I face the window, this massive window. And I say, okay, let's talk through one, like the first four games are easy. Like, we know we definitely want to talk about the best matchups. And so I open it up to Daigle, and he's like, oh, we have to talk about the Dolphins and the Browns. Why are we talking about the Dolphins and the Browns? Well, the fantasy aspect of this game, they're everywhere. Like, pieces sprinkled everywhere. We've been waiting for Baker Mayfield, and this is finally the week. He, he legitimately has a shot to finish as the QB1 overall against the Dolphins. Uh, his last three matchups, as we know, Denver, Buffalo, and Pittsburgh, in that span, QB14, QB13, QB9, okay? Odell Beckham has yet to hit, even though the past two weeks, Baker came out two weeks ago and said, oh, we're going to force feed him. And now Beckham ranks number seven receiver in targets in that span, two-week span, um, number seven in... Uh, Air yards, I believe, two targets inside the five, but despite that, zero touchdowns, wide receiver 29 in that short stint. So this is a great spot for Beckham to bounce back. Kareem Hunt now has entered this offense, and he's been the running back 16 over the last two weeks, ahead of Nick Chubb, who's been the RB19 in that span, because Kareem Hunt has a 24% target share, and they're actually integrating him in a way I didn't think they could. I did not think this offensive staff was... Uh, Forward thinking enough? Yeah, I didn't creative want to say intelligent was offensive. Yeah, yeah. forward thinking enough, creative enough, there you go, to, to put both in the field in this pony personnel they're using. But Kareem Hunt is a major factor and beyond a flex option. He's an, a true RB2 the rest of the season. So now it's. So basically, and, the analysis is play all your Browns. Yes. And you knocked Devontae Parker, who's also the wide receiver 15, since Preston Williams went down and was the RB, uh, uh, wide receiver three. How many games is that, though? That's like two games? No, no, no. But wide receiver three heading into it. I believe he's wide receiver 36 on, on the season before that. Like, Devontae Parker's been it's, – it's actually been his breakout year, and I know we've been waiting five years for that. It truly has been his breakout season. Calling it a breakout season is, like, offensive to someone like Cortland Sutton, who's actually having a breakout season. It maybe just took Devontae Parker a little longer. <laughs> That's all it. Hey, how do you view this game? Longer. Because this is one where really the story from the big picture might be bigger than the actual individual pieces because this is the first time we're going to see the Browns coming off that Thursday night fiasco with Miles Garrett knocking people in the head with their own helmets. We have Larry Ogunjobi who's also missing this game. Um, and for the Browns, Again, they've won against the Bills and the Steelers recently, and this is an easy, easy schedule that they have basically the remainder of the year. They have the Dolphins this week, they have the Steelers, and they have the Bengals, and they have the Cardinals. 
winning those four straight games would bring them to eight and six. And there's a possibility that this team is still playoff bound. Yeah, and, and one of the storylines is this is a very emotional team. And once, once they get on a hot streak, that plays into their benefit here. Odell is going to be bouncing back soon, like you, all the stats you just meant, mentioned. I think he's like a top 12 play, even though he's been like a wide receiver three this year. I think Baker's probably the best streaming option of the week. Um, I just picked him, up, picked him up in one of my leagues. And then on the Dolphins have already been bad. They just sent two more defensive backs to injured reserves. They did. This is a major problem. Yeah, those names are Bobby McCain, went on IR, Rashad Jones, went on IR. David Njoku returns most likely in this game, coming off that injury designation. Um, Dave, was there anything else you want to say in this game? No? I think that's, we think can just move it. on. I think you said everything. You already mentioned David I'm not Njoku. watching this game. Be a piece. Uh, this game might be interesting. This is like a true potential Baker 5 score game. I agree. Yeah. They're projected for the most That doesn't make it week. interesting. I think it's interesting. All right, let's move on. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Titans here are three-point home favorites. They're 5-5. Five and five. Jaguars are 4-6 and six with a total of 41.5. Uh, we saw Nick Foles make his return to the field last week. Uh, I, to me, it was an absolute dud. Like, he just looked not good against the Indianapolis Colts. What's your read on this Jaguars team with Nick Foles at the helm, Hayden? Well, he's going to be taking his deep shots, which helps DJ Chark and Chris Conley. And he also targets the slot receiver in D.D. Westbrook. I think all three of these guys are somewhat in play, um, depending on how big your league is. D.J. Chark has just been awesome. Awesome. Just so awesome. He had, he A real breakout two, year. Yes. It just, he was also broke out much quicker <laughs> than Walter Parker did. He did. Uh, last week, D.J. Chark broke the 200 air yard threshold, which is only a couple players have done that this year. Um, but this game sets up for Leonard Fournette and Derrick Henry. I think I don't think either of these defenses are that great. Hmm. I think the Jaguars are overrated a little bit. And, yeah, I think it's just going to turn into um, Leonard Fournette and Derrick Henry trying to get to 100 And it's a little bit of a squeaky wheel situation for Leonard Fournette. 15 touches, then 16 touches the past two games. And then they came out midweek and said they need to, quote-unquote, reestablish him to get their offense going. Uh, he averaged 25 touches in the eight games before those past two ones. So I would imagine they – feed him early and often, including getting him involved in the passing game. And I know Josh doesn't, does, is not impressed by the way they call plays and run him inside the five-yard line. And I agree, it's, it's slightly sluggish, but he's still a top-ten running sluggish. back. He's still Look, a top-ten Look, whenever years. you can reestablish the 24th team in run offense DVOA, <laughs> sure. you have to do it. Bigger picture here, I think Gardner Minshew should have the starting job back. He just fits what this team is offensively better than Nick Foles does right now. And sure, you can say, well, we have a game and a quarter of Nick Foles football this year. But what we do know about the Jaguars is their offensive line is not good enough to protect their quarterback for long stretches mm -hmm. of time. And Nick Foles is someone that even back to his great Philadelphia Eagle days was someone that played behind a great offensive line with tight ends that he could throw the football to with a running game that was very good under Doug Peterson at that time. And right now they don't really have any of those things. And Gardner Minshew, sure, he's going to make his mistakes. And he had some bad moments against like the New Orleans Saints this year. It was a really bad performance. But what you can bring to the table with Gardner Minshew is someone that creates in chaos. He has that comfort element to his game. And Nick Foles doesn't. And I I understand like wanting to see what you paid for this offseason, but if the goal is to win, and I guess it's not, you're four and six, you're not gonna make the playoffs. But again, Garner Minshew is just fits better with the identity of this team of what they are in actuality, but I still think the Jaguars are confused on what their identity really is on the field. Yeah, and I think even just from a team building perspective, you would want to see what you have with Gardner Minshew, because he's the much cheaper quarterback. You have him under contract 
for four more or three more years after this one, I would want to make sure that I'm not letting some cheap quarterback that could be a potential starter long term um, sit on my bench. Let's look at the Tennessee side of this. Uh, you mentioned that the Jaguars' defense shouldn't get as much respect as they're getting. They really shouldn't get any respect. They're 30th in run defense DVOA right now. And guess what the Titans want to do? They want to give 25 touches to Derrick Henry. This is just a three-point spread. I could see being a much larger one if Derrick Henry like has 100 yards at halftime, which is a major possibility. And basically what Marlon Mack did to this defense last week. Well, not just Marlon Mack. Jonathan Williams came in and then also ran for 100 yards off the bench. The Jaguars are a true run funnel. And like you said, we even had a game that A.J. Brown played without Corey Davis before the bye. Now Corey Davis is back practicing in full. But A.J. Brown played 94% of the snaps, got four targets, one catch, because it didn't matter whatsoever because this team – the receivers, the entire receiving game is inconsistent. It is. The one true option is Derrick Henry, and the more they get him sprinkled with one or two splashing plays, splash plays that always go for 80 yards for some reason when he catches the ball behind the line of scrimmage, uh, that actually helps their offense more. So it, it's a true, like, top five potentially Derrick Henry game. Don't tell him this, but, and maybe it doesn't really qualify, but I bet Ian Harditz is. Uh, helicopter prop is Derrick Henry this week. Okay. I was just about to say that. I, I really believe yeah. it is because we could totally see 125 yards and two touchdowns. I think it would be it's cheating. A big game. I think it would be cheating if you picked it. I think it's too, too obvious. Yeah. But I, I want to see uh, some lower guys. This Titans team is super healthy, too. I think I looked at their injury report and it's basically just Delaney Walker, who's questionable. Yeah, he, might yeah. he might be coming back. They're still starting LaShawn Sims on the outside. I'm kind of worried about that. But as we know, it's once again Nick Foles, who right. you have no faith in. Well, and and DJ Sharp. Played right. well in terms of rushing the passer. Harold Landry has had his moments rushing the passer. Like, I just don't see how this Jacksonville team and how they've played, especially last week, can match up with this Titans team. Not saying it's a great Titans team, but where they are strong, they can just demoralize the Jaguars. And I agree. Uh, no matchup anyways, even if Malcolm Brown was on the field. Uh, DJ Shark is a – or Malcolm Butler. Uh, DJ Shark is a true wide receiver one the rest of the season. And now with my positivity towards the Titans, they're going to lose by 20. All right. Like, Next game, a fantastic one. The Dallas Cowboys at the New England Patriots. 46 and a half total in this one. As you know, the Patriots are 9 and 1. Dallas Cowboys are 6 and 4. And the Patriots at home are 6 and a half point favorites. Hayden Dak Prescott is just playing unreal football. Um, he did it last week, what, against the Lions? Yes. He did it the week before against the Minnesota Vikings in a loss. But now he might face his most difficult test of the season in this New England Patriots defense, who are probably also facing their most difficult test yeah, of the season definitely. against this Dallas Cowboys offense. Yeah, and the Patriots defense, the reason why they've been so good outside of the turnovers and the sacks and everything, is they are not letting wide receivers get deep. And that's what the Cowboys have been so good at. Amari Cooper's been great at it. Michael Gallup's been getting downfield. So that, I see, as a potential issue here. I think Dak Prescott still deserves to be started in most leagues. I wouldn't take him that far and pick up a streamer. But I think he needs to use his legs a little bit this week to save, it, to save his stat line. And the guy that's kind of interesting to me this week is Randall Cobb. Yep. The Patriots are the softest underneath, right in the middle of the field. Randall Cobb has been great. And I think he's probably the most underrated aspect of the entire game. Randall Cobb is ranked as the wide receiver 10 over the last three weeks because Dak has gotten everyone involved. And I was trying to figure out, because we know the Patriots play a league-high rate of man coverage, which player do you take out of this Cowboys offense? And ideally, you just take away Dak, but you can't do that. So I do – actually, I think Cobb is the sneaky piece in this. And then I don't think they focus, honestly, on Ezekiel Elliott either. No. I just think they let Ezekiel Elliott have his day, and maybe it doesn't even matter. And they do struggle against two running back sets. So perhaps after we saw Tony Pollard – 
arguably have more explosiveness than Zeke last week. Like, maybe we get a few more touches for Pollard as well. It's going to be a fun test for Kellen Moore against this Bill yeah. Belichick defense, and hopefully it is Kellen Moore, not Jason that's, Garrett, that that's a key. is being able to create this offense. The note you made, and it's it's kind of cliche to say, well, the, the Patriots take away the offense's best weapon. If that's the case here, it's probably Randall Cobb, right? But what we've seen – no, excuse me, not Randall Cobb. Amari Cooper. It's Amari Cooper. Yeah. What we have seen from Randall Cobb and what we have seen from Michael Gallup is that they can step up in yeah, those situations. Michael Gallup especially, like that leaping catch, that circus catch so. that he had last week. I went back and watched that game, and really if you condense it down to Dak Prescott's real completions, he was only hit against the Lions basically one time. And this Lions defense, sure, it might be coached similarly to how the Patriots coach theirs, but the roster, the talent, is drastically different. So the Patriots obviously will get after Dak a little bit more, but I'm not so sure if I'm nervous of Dak Prescott against his Patriots defense. That can fall on its face immediately from that first drive. But he's been playing so good, man. I was thinking that too. It's like the, the Patriots defense is no match for Dak right now and vice versa. Uh, like this is truly spells a shootout for both sides, mm. I believe. I, I, don't, I don't know what they can do to stop all these pieces. And as we saw last week, whenever you get not only Pollard, but Blake Jarwin involved as well, like this offense is clicking. Hayden, can I put you on the spot? Because this Patriots defense was historic through those first six to, what, eight weeks of the season. Matchup-based. But yep. And so much of it was creating turnovers and scoring points off those turnovers. Yeah. They haven't really been doing that as of late, so it's kind of a real defense who they really are now and facing these actual teams like the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, and the Dallas Cowboys have not been taking that many sacks. They have not been turning the ball over a lot. Um, Vegas does project – the Cowboys are only 20 points right now, so that is a, a saving grace for the Patriots' defense for fantasy. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this is a closer game than what people are giving me credit for. I think the Cowboys are, like, one of the best teams in football. Even their, their totally record says agree. otherwise, and I know the coaching is going to hold them back, but talent-wise, you, know, you let Dak cook, it's, you're going to see good things. And we know Dak has just played unreal football when he has both his tackles, like basically all of his offensive linemen out there. They've gone through a little bit of turmoil on the interior, but – I think they're totally fine here. Uh, we haven't talked at all about the Patriots offense. Yeah, we need to as this well. Is, this is the Patriots offense that last week uh, against the Eagles felt like they needed to go deep into their playbook. Um, this hasn't been talked about enough. We, we saw that Julian Edelman hooked up with Philip Dorsett on that basically two-read throw that he had. That was awesome. And, but there was another throwback earlier in the game. Like, how often do you see the Patriots offense feel the need to have two throwback plays in the same game? It's because right now it, a lot of things are difficult. For this, for this Patriots offense, and it's that's concerning. I'm not saying that's going to be concerning when we come to January, and I think they figure it out, especially Isaiah Wynn coming back right now. What this team is right now, with Robert Quinn playing at a high level, Demarcus Lawrence playing at a high level, it could be an interesting day and a frustrated Brady that we see at the end of it. It would help, obviously, if Mohamed Sanu was available. The reports are he's going to miss a couple weeks. Yeah, Tom Curran reported that. Uh, but if you want to get right, you play the Cowboys defense, who not only allowed seven 20-plus-yard plays to Jeff Driscoll-led offense, uh, they are averaging over three 20-plus-yard plays on the season. It's just a defense right now that 
all the players are not playing up to par what they expected coming into the year. Um, a few key pieces struggling each and every week, despite the fact that Robert Quinn and Michael Bennett continue showing up on the pass rush. So getting mm -hmm. Isaiah Wynn certainly helps out. And I still think it could be a big day for Brady and Edelman in particular. I would imagine they shift Edelman back into the slot with Enkil Harry and, uh, and Philip Dorsett playing on the perimeter. But yeah, I actually love Brady and Edelman in this matchup as well. Brady right now has a career low 3.5 touchdown percentage. His 6.8 yards per attempt is the worst since 2006. Mm -hmm. A lot of that could be pointed to the receivers. I'm hoping Nikhil Harry plays like a first round talent. They need him so bad right now in the red zone. That's They're missing Gronk a ton. Um, but yeah, I, I do think this is a bounce back spot. Um, please get Sonny Michelle off the field for Rex Burkhead. Just so that I'm and again, I'm not one of these people that thinks it's like the end of days for the New England Patriots or even Tom Brady. Like, I still think he's playing at a really high level, to be perfectly honest with you. But, and again, we could be totally wrong here. I just don't see a flaw in this Cowboys team right now, despite their record being 6-4. and four. And the Patriots have a few flaws. They have a few flaws right now. Now, if Isaiah, Isaiah Wayne comes back and changes the scope of that offensive line, then that eliminates one. But right now, they are the more flawed football team. My concern is... Because this is the way, illogically, that these primetime afternoon island games go. Because there's only two games, remember. This game and then Titans-Jaguars. Yeah. Since the league flexed, for whatever reason, Seahawks-Eagles to noon when they took it out from Sunday night. Uh, the way this game sets up is that the whole world, the nation Watches. is watching. And then it comes down to the final minute and it's a coaching buffoonery that settles it. <laughs> because, because obviously we know the Patriots will outcoach the Cowboys. That is my concern. Let's go now to one of the games of the weekend. That is Sunday night football. The Green Bay Packers at the San Francisco 49ers, who you know are 9-1. The Packers are 8-2. and two. The 49ers here at home are three-point favorites. We know that the 49ers are coming off a narrow win against the Cardinals when they finally took the lead with basically just a minute left on the field. We haven't heard from the Packers in quite some time. They are coming off a bye. Daigle, this sets up to be maybe one of the games of the season. What is it? How does it play out? You have to ask yourself if all of the injuries for the Niners, if they can actually overcome them, not only on the offensive side of the ball. We, we've only seen Wednesday and Thursday practice. We have no George Kittle. We, we think we're not going to get him on Sunday night. Uh, we have no Emmanuel Sanders yet. Debo Samuel has been banged up as well, hasn't practiced yet this week. And then no Matt Breida. But the defensive side of the ball is the big one in stopping Aaron Rodgers in the rushing attack because no D Ford and no Ronald Blair is actually big. This team has allowed over 130 rushing yards per game in each of their last four contests, right? So how do you stop... Not only Aaron Rodgers attacking with Devontae Adams back healthy, who has now had 14 days to rest his turf toe further, but also Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, who continue getting snaps. Uh, it just seems almost like it's too much to overcome, even for this well-coached team. I'll tell you how you stop it. What was the worst game that we saw from Aaron Rodgers this year in this Packers offense against the L.A. Chargers? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What type of defense does this San Francisco 49ers team run? A very similar one to the Chargers. Where is their personnel very similar? Up front, creating disruption, creating pressure. That Packers offensive line really struggled mm -hmm. against the Chargers. And where are the 49ers best? It's with Ark Armstead up front. It's with Nick Bosa up front. It's with DeForest Buckner up yeah. front. So on and so forth. If that is where the 49ers can control this game, and that's a difficult one, right? But if it can be and they do what the Chargers did, then it could easily be a 10-plus point win by the 49ers in this game. Yeah, I think it's going to be low scoring as well. I, I do like the 49ers, too. Getting, getting these pieces back is so key, though. We need Debo Samuel. He's been one of the best 
maybe the best he's rookie been receiver. So good the past two weeks. Some of these catches he's making down the sideline. Um, but yeah, I think this is an okay spot for Aaron Jones. Um, I think Devontae Adams is going to be coming back eventually. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet, and that's been kind of his calling card for these last couple of seasons. He's due for a game, but I'm not sure if we're going to see it that much. Hmm. Packers, 49ers, I think it's going to be a defense game. Go ahead. Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman, let's talk about offensive pieces a little bit here because as we expected, they both played 49% of the snaps last week for the Niners. I would expect they do it the same. The big one, though, on the other side of the ball, the Packers, is that we talked a little bit a few weeks ago, Aaron Jones, what would happen to his target share. Team high 20% once Devontae Adams came back. And what happened is that the past two games for the Packers, Devontae Adams has just gotten all the targets. It has pretty much rendered everyone else useless or just random pieces in this offense. Uh, Aaron Jones, the past two games, a total of three targets and also a total of three touchdowns. So he's averaged 12 touches in those contests. He can't live in fantasy off of three touchdowns, right? Mm. Like, it just won't happen every week. So if he continues splitting snaps with Jamal Williams, which he will, they will every single game, then it is kind of worrisome. We also have another game to write the season story of Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, luckily, it seems like we get to do that every single week. Last week, we know he threw for over 400 yards and four touchdowns, uh, but he also had two red zone interceptions, and those were killer interceptions. Luckily, he's facing a Green Bay Packers team who are like kind of the opposite of the Indianapolis Colts, and let me explain. Because the Colts are like a better sum than the parts. I think for the Packers defense, their pieces are better than the total because they have talented corners, yet you see receivers run wide open far too often. That's going to be an issue facing Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. You have Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith on the outside who are very good individual pass rushers and Kenny Clark up the middle, yet it's not like they create consistent disruption. Like, they lose their rush angles, their rush lanes. Then you have Blake Martinez who can just be run over in the running game, and the Packers are allowing 114 rushing yards per game to opposing backfields. This plays, to me, also right into the identity of this 49ers offense and kind of their identity of the defense. I'm, maybe I'm being too positive on the 49ers here, but it, it adds up where this is, should be a really, really good bounce-back performance for them. I mean, he has answered and responded whenever called upon, whenever he's been needed in most cases, but he's only exceeded 300 yards in two games against the Cardinals. He's only eclipsed three touchdowns against the Cardinals and the Bengals. So in any other contest, he's just kind of an average, to be honest. Hmm. I wonder if the Packers can take anything from what the Cardinals have done because the Cardinals have really been one of the teams that have able to solve the riddle yeah. a little bit of this Both 49ers games, defense. Yeah. And so much of it is, you know, eliminating people from the box and then running in yeah. that format. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see Matt LaFleur do the same thing. Yeah, the, the run DVO, DVOA splits for the Packers, they're in the middle of the pack against the pass and the, towards the very bottom against the run. So this is going to be Tevin Coleman. And then I don't think Breed is going to play, but Raheem Mostert's also Raheem Mostert, yep. Let's move on to Monday Night Football. That is the Baltimore Ravens at the Los Angeles Rams. Just another great football game, gentlemen. Eight and two Ravens, six and four Rams, 46 and a half total, and the Ravens are three-point favorites on the road. Uh, Hayden, the Ravens have an argument of being one of the NFL's best teams, if not the best team. Meanwhile, even after a loss, excuse me, a win, there are questions about Ravens this don't lose. Rams team. Um, how do you think this one shapes out and stacks up because it's it's wild that thinking back to a year ago we would say that Lamar Jackson is the best passing quarterback in this game that is that is very true um yeah I the Ravens are just so well-rounded right now the defense is coming together that that secondary has been awesome and Jared Goff's just been so bad so I I, I really don't think this game is going to be that close even I think the Ravens are just like 
light years ahead with Lamar Jackson. Um, the Rams do play some good defense, though, against the run, um, especially with Aaron Donald up front. But I looked at where the Ravens run the ball. They're running it off the edge a lot. I don't think this is going to be that big of a deal for Mark Ingram. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal for Lamar Jackson to run it. So, yeah, I'm yeah, all in. To your point, we get Greg Roman, who's the offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, against Wade Phillips, who, you know, really is one of the best defensive coordinators this league has ever seen. And the Rams are a defensive identity team. Now you get Aaron Donald maybe unblocked in certain situations yeah. uh, as the read man. And I just don't know how a team – we haven't seen it really, that can shut down this Ravens team. And it surprised me, Daigle, they're averaging 10 more points per game than a Sean McVay-led offense. I think they're averaging 34 points. Meanwhile, the Rams are averaging 24 points per game. That's interesting. Uh, and we're talking about the Ravens offense right now, Either right? one. Okay. You can take it anywhere you okay, want. Well, let's, go with, let's go with Rams defense really quick because you mentioned Wade Phillips. And I know over the last month, I do personally believe this is the uh, best coached defensive unit Wade Phillips has had for the Rams so far. Mm-hmm. However, over the last month, you just have to look at the context. Injured Matt Ryan, Ryan Finley, or Andy Dalton before uh, Andy Dalton was benched, and then Mason Rudolph and Mitchell Trubisky. So let's calm down with the stats over the last month. And then you ask, how can they stop Lamar Jackson, who no one has been able to stop, especially when he gets Mark Ingram involved in these little dink and dunks every once in a while. Uh, we still have Mark Andrews roaming over the middle of the field. Marquise Brown playing limited snaps. I don't know if it's for injury or for just because they bench everyone in the third quarter because they're that good every single week. So it is a unique matchup for both sides of the ball. It is. But as you mentioned with the Rams passing offense in particular, I mean, what did they do without Robert Woods, who is still away from the team? We saw them lean on Todd Gurley, 28 touches on 41 snaps. He had 28 touches? 28 touches, his most since week eight last season, on 41 snaps. Basically, he's on the field every time, and he's getting a touch every time because they have no other option. And it was efficient last week against the Bears, yes, but can you really do that against the Ravens? I guess that's how you would attack them, but that's not going to work out. So I'm wondering, sitting here, who does Jalen Ramsey cover? Does he cover Mark Andrews when he's in the game? Is that a possibility? Because it's not like the reason you bring Jalen Ramsey into your organization is, hey, we're going to shut down your opposing number one wide receiver. Well, guess what? The Ravens don't really have a number one wide receiver. Their passing offense is efficient. And meanwhile, we know that Aaron Donald can create some instant disruption unlike anyone else in the league. Well, now you have one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the league who also isn't just holding on to the football as a passer. He's not a statue back there. He can make you miss in the back. To me, it all lines up the positives for the Ravens as negatives for the Rams. Yeah, going back with the Todd Gurley situation, I'm kind of buying into this increased touch t- touch totals. Mm-hmm. Going into the offseason, that was the reports later in the season they're going to start riding them. I think that's what we're going to see, and I think it's, now it's out of necessity. Going into the season, we're like, oh, Jared Goff's been playing well. Their, uh, their passing attack is good. Now we don't have that, so I think that it's just going to be Todd Gurley, 20, 25 touches every game. Todd Gurley, yeah, still an RB2 in this matchup, despite it being tougher. But as you mentioned about Jalen Ramsey, you're shaking your head no? No, I was just talking to Chris in the control. Oh, okay. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, though, previously with the Jags, he wasn't moving to the slot whatsoever. But we've already seen this year with the Rams, he did travel with Juju Smith-Schuster to the slot. So it would make sense that they put him on Marquise Brown if this is a competitive game. And even so, you're going back to Marquise Brown as a wide receiver three. It just, it just sucks every week because you really don't know his limitations or his snaps because, like I said, they take him off the field. Here's your lock of the week. A lot. Lock of the week is Marcus Pierce gets an interception on Jared Goff. Easy. It's pretty That's, easy. Yeah, I like that. All right. <laughs>
Time now for Patrick Darty to join the show. Patrick writes the rankings <laughs> up on Roto World. If you need just any conundrums, anything that is troubling your lineup, Patrick has them covered. And also, I'm sure he'd love to just get your one-on-one -on -one questions on Twitter too at Roto Pat. So go and ask him there as well. Start all right, Pat, <laughs> ask. Tell him all of your leagues. <laughs> Pat, let's start <laughs> off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Atlanta Falcons. Two fun teams, despite both, I believe, being three and seven. And the fun is in that 51 and a half total. The Falcons at home are four and a half point favorites. We know that the Falcons have won two straight games basically since their head coach was maybe about to be fired. So Pat, can this Falcons team continue to ride this wave, dude? Yeah, when you said the Falcons, you misspoke. You meant 85 Bears. Um, <laughs> you know, with uh, 11 sacks and have forced four turnovers over their past two games after yeah, Dan Quinn appeared to be a goner. Yeah, I, yeah. I, should changing a defensive play caller really make this big of a difference? Uh, I guess it does. I don't know. Uh, something weird going on there. But uh, yeah, it's hard to see. So the good news is, you know, you really can't screw up the Bucks. So it's going to be a big week just at, in general for the Falcons' offense and. Jameis Winston, you know, I guess we're concerned about this resurgent Falcons defense, but kind of like one of the secrets of Jameis Winston is that, uh, you know, just as he turns the ball over against uh, bad defenses as, as much as he does good defenses, but he also throws for as many yards against bad defenses as he does good. He's just, he can only be Jameis Winston. There's really not two Jameis Winstons. So even with like the Falcons, yeah, even if they sack him six or seven times, you know, get another three or four turnovers, uh, it's just hard to see how the numbers won't be there in fantasy. All right, well, whether this defense is turned around or not, how are you ranking the rest of these Bucks pieces? Because Godwin and Evans were living alone on a target tree well ahead of Brashad Perryman and Dare Ogunbowale uh, the first eight games. But the past two games, Evans and Godwin have faded away because now we're getting Cameron Brayton involved out of nowhere. O.G. Howard was involved against the Cardinals. Uh, uh, Scotty Miller now has nine targets in the past yeah, two games. Yeah, Scotty Miller. So Let's the go. target tree has actually grown, and I don't know why. So tell us, give everyone confidence <laughs> to continue going back, and who do we just eliminate altogether? Yeah, we can't forget the fabled eight-target Ronald Jones game either. Um, so for whatever reason, yeah, the Bucks have been expanding the targetry. I mean, I really just—it's probably just a fluke. I mean, this fluky, weird things happen as the season ebbs and flows. Uh, neither Chris Godwin nor Mike Evans have concerning individual uh, matchups this week. Uh, O.J. Howard. I mean, you would think you could say getting out-targeted fourteen to one by Cameron Brait was a fluke. Uh, it was probably just more of an unmistakable message, though. You know, they tried the every down O.J. Howard thing two weeks ago. Uh, clearly did not like it. Uh, they went away from that again. Um, Cameron Bray, it's hard. You know, Mike Evans, you know, Mr. Air Yards himself, Mr. 15 target game himself. It's hard to really ever be concerned about Mike Evans. I guess, you know, Cameron Bray, one of Jameis Winston's former BFFs, I guess his reemergence you could spin is concerning for Chris Godwin. Uh, you know, Godwin, you know, what he averaged 110 yards for weeks one to six, and that number's down to 56 over the past month, this past four games. Uh, if he has another one of those games, it's probably time to reassess Chris Godwin as an every week wide receiver one, um, especially, like I said, with Cameron Brates, I guess, being, and everyone you laid out, John, being a part of the, the target, uh, the, the, the target scene now, but, uh, 
I think the Falcons will be a slump buster for Chris Godwin. At least I'm hoping and praying they are because I own Chris Godwin in a lot of leagues. Yeah, it's week 12 of the NFL season, and I sit here, and, like, I wonder who would want Jameis Winston in 2020, you know? Like, it's, it's one of those situations where, sure, he gives you, like, a few positives every game, but there's no way you can win, and I mean win, with Jameis Winston on a consistent basis. And, again, that's super troubling as we sit here in Week 12. We haven't talked at all, really, about this Atlanta offense. I'm not sure we really have to too much because Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones, Hayden, are just going to absolutely dominate these Bucks corners. But a couple weeks ago, uh, Brian Hill was a little bit of the talk of the town. You know, then he steps in and we doesn't— probably, We should probably just take our L and move on. Doesn't really <laughs> do too much <laughs> at all in his performance. Um, he should see touches this week, but we have seen the Bucks defense, Hayden, again— um, shut down some opposing running backs. Yeah, completely shut them down. The best run DVOA team, second best against fantasy running backs. Brian Hill averaged 2.1 yards per opportunity last week, and he lost the goal line rep to Kadri Olsen. Mm -hmm. I mean, 15 carries, possibly, but, I mean, what are you going to do with that? He was outscored by Kadri Olsen, who had two touches. I think that tells you everything you need to know in life. Guys, it's almost like we shouldn't get too excited about adequate or below adequate talents each and every week. Anyways, let's Hold move on. on. That, that's, that's, how, that's the name of the game in fantasy, Josh. You yeah. can't really ever oversell someone getting 21 touches as like a plug-and-play. And he still dominated the touch totals last week. He just, uh, you know, was really bad. I'm, and, and, uh, I'm also venting here, Pat, because twice in the newsroom in the span of an hour, I was asked about Patrick <laughs> Laird. And, again, let's <laughs> not get excited targets. Uh, about this. And I will just say quickly, for those thinking about Ronald Jones – just know Jameis Winston leads the Bucks in rushing over the last two weeks. That tells you everything you need to know about that rushing game. Let's next go to the Detroit Lions at the Washington Redskins. Another game that Pat picked. Uh, three, six, and one. Hold, hold on. I'm going to interrupt you there. I, 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 was, I didn't pick this game necessarily as much as it was, uh, you know, I was like a foster father for this game. <laughs> like it was assigned to me by the state. That's not of. true. You picked this game over the likes of like Carolina and New Orleans and a couple. There were some options out there. Don't Yeah, the 08 Lions versus the uh, 17 Browns was unavailable, so okay. I took this one. Well, the Lions here on the road against maybe the worst team in football are only three-and-a-half-point favorites, a 42 total in this one. Uh, Pat, I have deemed Jeff Driscoll as low-key fun, and he's like <laughs> 82% Josh Allen. He had two passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown last week. He might do some damage to his Washington Redskins defense. Josh, it sounds like you're looking for this week's Brian Hill. Um, no, Jeff just too soon. better at his uh, job than Brian Hill is better at his. I, I would debate that, but I got to be Jeff, Jeff Driscoll is a fun option this week. And my one of my game notes was, you know, the old fantasy Twitter joke, Jeff, Jeff Driscoll in a GPP question mark, uh, because he is like basically tailor made, basically tailor made for fantasy tournaments with his rushing floor combined with his big play weapons at receiver. Uh, versus you know, just a horrible, not just a horrible defense, a horrible overall team, one of the most dispiriting teams you'll ever see in the NFL. And yeah, I was thinking about a quick aside about this game. Will Detroit Lions fans take over FedEx Field? The Lions don't have a traveling fan reputation, but the Redskins have just let every opposing fan base, they've been the Chargers in it hardcore, like 60, 70% of the target of the, the seats going to opposing fans. Um, but Jeff Driscoll, yeah, not good. Wasn't good in college, uh, but he can run, and he has big play receivers, and I think he's a top-20 quarterback this week and a very compelling option in DFS tournaments. 
So I actually want to kick it to Hayden because I know he does the air yards and whatnot for the fantasy forecast. Do you have any lean on a particular wide receiver from Jeff Driscoll? Yeah. That he's a because because I know Galladay has led and with 14 targets, but it kind of seems like he just gets everyone involved. Yeah, the, over the last couple of weeks, their air yards have gone down in every single game. Um, yeah, it's just. They're just so talented that I think you want to keep them in your lineup. For sure, Galladay. Um, Marvin Jones, I think, is still a flex option, but the, their yards are coming down. So everyone's basically become touchdown dependent. And yeah. Speaking of random running backs coming in and doing something, Bo Scarborough was that way last week, and like he was on That's the, the Brad practice Hill squad, then like popped up. And <laughs> I mean, Pat, where are you going to rank him? Probably, obviously, outside your top 30 running backs, but like if he gets, what, Ooh. 12 touches in this game? that might hit value in certain formats. It's concerning for me that you assume he'd be outside the top 30 because he actually is in the top 30. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, like, it was a rough week anyways. Yeah, I have him like RB27. You know, so it's the final week with buys. So probably the last week you'll see things like Bo Scarborough in the top 30. But, I mean, you know, he got the surprise week 11 start 24 hours after he got promoted from the practice squad. And, Frankly, immediately looked like the best player the Lions had tried out in their post on Johnson backfield, and you know we we liked. I think most people liked Bo, Scarborough, Bo Scarborough's profile coming out of Alabama, uh, so it's not that surprising to see him have a solid game. The thing with Bo is, of course, he's a very strict two down back. Yeah. Uh, is not will not give you anything on third down or in the passing game, which even in peop, or even in standard, you know, really limits his upside, but. You know, a solid early down runner in a game that even on the road, the Lions should probably control. Um, so you, you, the path to 15 carries is uh, very easy for him to reach. And, you know, four teams on by, uh, I've got taken a shot on Bo in the top 30. Um, to answer your question, Pat, there are tickets for $4 for this game, which is <laughs> still too much. Man. Uh, okay. Hashtag sell the team. Yeah. Let's look at the Washington side of this. And there's not really much to talk about. Darius guys got a little bit involved last week. Terry McLaurin made this unreal garbage time sideline catch. I wish Terry McLaurin was just in a better environment. Um, Dago, I do want to ask you, because I know you watched this game. Maybe you did last week with mm-hmm. Washington against the Jets. But Dwayne Haskins is now a starting quarterback. And one, it's not a good situation. It's not a good environment. And he had like a couple moments that maybe you can latch on to and be like, oh, he has a strong arm. He hit these throws down the field. But more importantly, I felt like he wasn't comfortable at any moment. Like the game looked a little big for him. Like it, it wasn't slowing down at all. And that's concerning. And I'm not saying that this is him calling him a bust or that he can never change that. The question is if he can change that and when he changes that. And maybe it is against his Lions defense, which is one of the worst in the NFL. Yes. So, okay, so I'll quickly go from big picture to fantasy pieces. So, big picture, Dwayne Haskins. My concern is, one, he doesn't look good right now, but he's not in an organization that will fine-tune him. So, it's pretty much if you start out bad, then you likely will stay bad because Washington is not an organization that will even try to make you better. All they do is complain about looking at the playbook. And so, yeah, that does fall on him, but there's no one there to help cater him. Colt McCoy is probably the most professional person in that organization. So do whatever you want with that. Alex Smith. Moving uh, – Alex Smith, that's actually true. Moving down, He's going to become the owner. He's going to save Dwayne Haskins. To uh, Terry McLaurin now. Uh, Terry McLaurin's averaged five targets over the last three games. Case Keenum 
Whatever we want to say about Case Keenum, the fact is he was keeping Terry McLaurin alive. And Terry McLaurin's, even his talent, can't trump the poor play going on behind the line of scrimmage. So Terry McLaurin even is like a wide receiver for at best the rest of the season. Even against the Lions, he just cannot survive Dwayne Haskins' performance right now. Hmm. And then I think the sneaky play in this game, pending how injuries shake out, would be Darius Geis. And I'm not even talking as someone who was impressed by the 45-yard catch when they were down by four scores. Uh, when he basically the, ran a straight line along the sideline. And then his, very fast. And then his <laughs> knee gave out, he stopped, and he just moved forward a little bit. Uh, Uh-oh. No, Adrian Peterson, they said it was rest, but Adrian Peterson is reportedly dealing with a turf toe, and some reporters are and saying – And hurt feelings. And some reporters are saying he's actually – got to keep AP rested for the stretch run, important games. <laughs> some, some actually are saying behind the scenes he's going to miss this game, so I think that's something to watch mm-hmm. because we are not scared of this Lions defense. And if Darius Geis plays 45% of the snaps and he will soak up all the targets – ahead of Wendell Smallwood, that's a, that's an interesting flex option for bye weeks. Pat, anything to say about this Washington team where we can just move on to the next game? You could have saved a lot of words just by saying Dwayne Haskins was rosening because um, wow. wow. that's what he's doing. Uh, I will say, so listen, this is only the second game where Dwayne Haskins has entered the game like knowing he was going to be the starter. His first start he found out on Friday. So if you're looking for any positive with Dwayne Haskins, at least he's like finally settling into the role and – you know, maybe he can finally tap uh, tap some of that college chemistry he had with Terry McLaurin. Uh, but as bad as the Lions' defense has been, you know, Matt Patricia, one thing he has done as a head coach is kind of scramble young quarterbacks. So it's just very hard to find reasons for optimism. Anytime you have to attribute a non-play, like a 50-plus yard penalty, yeah, it wasn't to a good Dwayne day. Haskins in favor of him, that's not a good <laughs> outing. Not at all. All right, let's close out this preview episode with, I think, a fun matchup. This could be a really Oof. fun game. Perhaps. The Oakland Raiders at the New York Jets. Raiders on the road are three-point favorites because they're 6-4. and four. The Jets are 3-7. and seven. Hayden, I'll go to you. Um, I watched Sam Darnold last week, and a lot of the throws he made, especially the touchdown throws, were all really nice. They were on lasers. They were from his chaotic footwork. But they were like, if there is a vintage Sam Darnold already, they were some nice arm talent <laughs> throws. The issue with that is all of them basically came from clean situations and clean pockets. And we've seen this Raiders team respond as of late, named with my boy Max Crosby, creating disruption like they weren't doing at the start of the year. So if the Jets offensive line can protect Sam Darnold, he might be a top 12 scoring quarterback this week. Yeah, he's definitely on the QB2 streaming radar. Darnold, just, he's just always so inconsistent. His footwork's all over the place. But he also, that also helps him at times when he can move around and hit these, these receivers. The Raiders... I'm kind of believing in these rookie class, um, especially, Max Crosby, yeah. especially Max Crosby, but the secondary is still awful. It is. And I think the Jets will have a chance to move the ball. I don't want to get too optimistic with Darnold, though. Well, I actually want to ask Pat about the pieces in this Jets offense, though, because what's happened, and I think it makes sense behind the scenes, uh, the Raiders had five road games in a row, right? They went to London, sandwiched in between their four other road games, and then they came back and they've had three home games, and in that time now, uh, 12 sacks and seven forced turnovers. But the Jets' offense, even with Darnold being at a league-high, under a league-high pressure rate uh, this season, the Jets, what they did over the past month was shorten their offense. And that's why Robbie Anderson has completely disappeared on a 10% target share. That's why Daniel Brown's getting involved. This is why Ryan Griffin's a fantasy option. This is why Jameson Crowder's leading this team and Le'Veon Bell's getting peppered underneath. So 
Robbie Anderson in particular is what I want to know about, but everyone else, like Ryan Griffin as well, Pat, where do you have them ranked? Because it is a great matchup against the Raiders. My scattered Jets thoughts are, first off with Sam Darnold, uh, just to me, we're going to see like Jameis Winston type play from Sam Darnold. Like, I think of like Jameis Winston, Sam Darnold, when you turn the ball over that much in college, that just rarely changes in the NFL. And it has changed the past two or three weeks. But I just wouldn't be surprised to see like bad, bad Sam Darnold, you know, reemerge at any given moment. And I will say that's not my primary concern for Sam Darnold against the Raiders. My primary concern might just be that the Raiders dominate time of possession. Uh, the Jets' run defense still checks out really well statistically, but I don't know if the loss of Leonard Williams, uh, the absence of C.J. Mosley, has really caught up with them yet. Uh, two of the past three weeks, they faced uh, the Redskins and Dolphins backfields, kind of keeping uh, their defensive numbers afloat. So I just wouldn't be surprised to see the Raiders running game go totally nuts in this game and kind of keep Sam Darnold off the field enough to where he can't have a QB one day. Hmm. When he is on the field, though, as John alluded to, he's he's not doing things that kind of will lead to a spiked week because like Sam Robbie Anderson has been basically phased out. and you know, We're getting these 80... Jamison Crowder yards every week on 10 or 11 targets and he's just not doing things that'll lead to spiked weeks he's throwing to Ryan Griffin and he's throwing to Jamison Crowder a million times even his touchdown was a six yard crossing route yeah so Ryan he's made god bless his soul uh, he's made uh, Ryan Griffin a tight end one uh, one of the the bleaker fantasy developments in quite a while Uh, but so Ryan Griffin is a tight uh, tight end one Mm -hmm. Jamison Crowder is almost flirting with wide receiver two value uh He's made Demarius Thomas a locked-in wide receiver four. Uh, so he's doing things uh, you know, point to like very conservative quarterback play, uh, which I guess is not – he's established a floor. But I, I would say the ceiling, especially this week against the Raiders team, and I think will dominate time of possession, just isn't there. Uh, quickly, on Oakland's offense side of the ball, and I'm going to point to the Jets' defense first. Their use of Jamal Adams lately has been awesome. Mm-hmm. What they're doing is lining him up as like a free edge rusher in a lot of situations. He's basically, and I don't know if this is true, it seems like he has freedom to attack basically at any angle he wants to. Well, the Raiders' offensive line is one of the best in the NFL. Tom mm-hmm. Cable has coached this unit up. They spent first-round picks on it. They spent free agent money on it. And it's been really good. And what's that allowed them to do is Derek Carr is playing even better than he did back in 2016 when somehow he got MVP votes. That's allowing him to play inside the structure of the play. That's allowing him to not have to throw vertically often, but when he does, it's very efficient. And that's allowed them to have Josh Jacobs, who's one of the top 10 running backs, top eight running backs across the NFL. Pat, it's not like there are any new names that you're really focused on in this group. But it might be a situation where you're like, hey, I'm cool playing basically any Oakland Raider here. I suppose, but Derek Carr, is to talk about lack of ceiling, uh, even in a game against the Bengals, uh, Derek Carr had one touchdown. And that's another thing with the Raiders. When the Raiders get these good matchups, which they've had a lot of lately, uh, you know, their preference would be to just run the ball 40 times as opposed to having Derek Carr letting it loose in the first half. And so Derek Carr, again, kind of like Sam Dart, is keeping floors afloat. Uh, Tyrell Williams has bafflingly been a floor instead of ceiling play. Uh, Darren Waller kind of in between. Had a you know three or four game quiet stretch for reemerging last week. Uh, Hunter Renfro now has a floor in fantasy. I guess that's good. Um, so this is a place again where you go, you go for floor plays, you go for like a plug and play QB two in Derek Carr, which I guess you can count on a nice baseline of points. But I just again I just don't see spiked week potential. That is going to do it for us. 
on this preview episode. Again, if you need to decide who to start, who to sit in your lineups, go and check out Pat's rankings. They're up. They update all the way He'll love it. through kickoff. <laughs> um, also, go and check out Aiden Winks' Fantasy Forecast column. Can't suggest it enough. It's good. It's great. Unique information. Thanks for being here for a week, Hayden. You'll be here also Sunday. Sunday. Live show. Roto World Live. That's twitch.tv slash Roto World. Noon Eastern. When we really do just answer your questions basically for an hour. We preview four games. We answer your questions. It's all about you. So again. We argue our positions. Yep. That's noon Eastern. Twitch.tv slash Roto World. And Daigle, thanks for being here as always, man. I'm always here. Thank you, you for just always know, being here. I don't take it for granted, you being here. You and I work together <laughs> entirely too much. And I think the fact we haven't got sick of each other, or at least from my perspective, I haven't got sick of each I just don't share yet. my feelings. I think, yeah. I you're think you're it's not seeing the things positive. Josh is saying in the group chat, John. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll do it for us. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.